Chapter Forty of the Pioneers by Catherine Susanna Pritchard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. It was early next morning that Cameron's cart, with its slowly moving, heavy grey horse, drew up before Steve's, and Mrs. Cameron herself got down from it. The schoolmaster was pacing the long kitchen. He had not been still a moment since Pete McColl brought his news. Pete had gone back to the Wirree to see if anything more had been heard of Davy, whether he was to be brought back to the district for trial, or was being held in Melbourne. The story of his arrest had come through on the vessel that brought stores to Port Southern, but it was very vague. A rumour had reached the Albatross an hour or two before she was sailing, that a young man, saying he was David Cameron, young Davy, Cameron of Airmuir's son, had been arrested for cattle-stealing, and that he and a nigger were being detained on the charge. Pete had not returned, but the schoolmaster set about making preparations for a journey. Deirdre had packed his tucker-bag. His blanket was rolled up to strap on his saddle. "'Which way are you going?' Deirdre asked. She knew that the schooner would probably be gone before he could reach the port, and that it would continue its passage along the coast to rain before turning back and making for Port Phillip. He had thought of all that, too. "'I'll ride,' he said. "'What are you going to do?' she asked anxiously. "'I don't know.' Out of the chaos of his thoughts, no plan of action had yet formed. Then Mrs. Cameron came. Deirdre brought her into the kitchen. "'It's Mrs. Cameron, father,' she said, and left them. Farrell turned in the direction of her voice. He made a movement towards Mrs. Cameron, who was standing just within the doorway. His hand went out with a seeking motion. "'I—I I can't see you,' he said, a little querulously. Her hand met his. She knew from his face the desperate and troubled state of mind he was in, and he, hers, from her fluttered breath and the sob that went with it. "'I've come to ask you to keep a promise,' she said. "'Yes.' "'You remember the promise?' For a moment he did not remember any words, any formal undertaking but he knew to what she referred. You said, long ago, her voice was scarcely audible, that if you could ever do anything for me or mine. Yes, he said, if ever I can do anything, I want to. She sank into a chair, her hands flew to her bonnet strings. She untied them. You know what it is I want you to do? she asked. Yes. He felt for his chair, it was near the one she had taken. He sat down and turned his face towards her. He could just see a dim outline of her against the morning brightness. To him she was a grey figure with a heavy black shadow about her. He strained to meet her eyes again. The very magic of them seemed to illumine her face for him, show him its beautiful outlines. And yet perhaps he did not see them at all. It was all memory and vivid imagining that gave him the illusion. He did not see her face, thin and lined, with pain and loneliness, the patience and vague disappointment that had come to dwell in her eyes. "'I want you to get the boy off for me, to have this charge removed,' she said tremulously. The schoolmaster knew that this was what he had meant to try to do, but now that she had asked him, he told himself that it must be done. The means employed to lift the burden of blame from Davy's shoulders, he knew, would have to be very sure ones. Davy himself would not say anything to implicate Connell or anyone else. 
evidently the story of his droving for donald cameron had not carried much weight yes the schoolmaster said i will he had no doubt of himself now that she had appealed to him oh she cried after a few moments i knew that it was some mischief to us that mcnab was planning i can see it all now i thought it was you or conal he was trying to get at mcnab told donald that cattle were being moonlighted most of them airmule breakaways and wild cattle at the back of our hills but he did not know that davy was droving for conal not till he asked me this morning and i told him i didn't know myself till a few days ago when davy came to me after church then he said he'd been working with conal and i begged him not to any more and told him what his father and mcnab were trying to do he promised to come home but he never came i was afraid to tell his father for fear he'd never forgive him and every day i thought davy'd be coming in the gate mcnab knew of course everybody else in the wirree seems to have known but us that davy was with conal it was to bring our pride in the dust to make davy's father the shamed and disgraced man he is he did it but where's conal how is it he's not there with davy why did davy ever go in for this business why are you in it i thought that you would never be doing anything again that would bring you under the law the distress and reproach in her voice hurt him i thought so too he said bitterly he did not attempt to excuse himself and the sightless eyes that gazed at her did not accuse his mind was back to the subject between them this is the concern of two men i and another he said davy was no more than a hired drover besides where is conal mrs cameron asked away his tone forbade further inquiry there was silence a moment how does mr cameron take it he's broken altogether would he the schoolmaster hesitated would he consent to say that davy was droving for him there were dc cows in the mob mrs cameron hesitated i think he would do anything anything in the world to get the boy off she said i don't know that it would do whether it would work the schoolmaster said a little wearily probably davy has said that he was putting the mob through for his father he said he would if anything happened if inquiries are made will you tell mr cameron to back up the story it's the only chance davy may have been only detained until it could be ascertained whether he is donald cameron's son and whether cameron authorized him to sell the cattle it would be a splendid opportunity to spoil mcnab's game if it could be done but if for some reason i don't know of yet it can't be worked there's another way you mean you'll say you were responsible davy was only a drover with you mrs cameron asked yes she uttered a little cry it was what i meant you to do but i can't bear to think of it she said she covered her face with her hands the schoolmaster was thinking deeply too the iron of despair had entered his soul what will it mean she asked looking up at him three years hard labour on the roads of the colony or other places the judge may direct he quoted his voice a little uncertain tell me she said rising a tide of feeling carrying fire to her eyes dignity to her figure and a subtle timbre to her voice would you rather i had not come would you rather i had let davy take his punishment i'm not sure that he does not deserve it in spite of what you say 
No, Farrell cried passionately. He grasped her hand. His face fell over it. It is the best thing in the world for me to do something for you, he said. Mrs. Cameron caught her breath when for a moment he carried her fingers to his lips. You'll look after Deidre, he said, if... Yes. She stood uncertainly looking at him, a pitiful quivering emotion in her eyes. Then she moved away. Goodbye, he said mechanically, hearing the brush of her garments as she left the room. Goodbye, she said. Deidre saw that Mrs. Cameron's cheeks were wet with tears when she climbed into the buggy again. She did not speak, but drove silently away. Deirdre had been rubbing Bess's nose and feeding her with handfuls of grass. When she went back to the kitchen, her father was sitting with his arms over the side of his chair, his head on them. She flew to him. Her arms entwined him, but he pushed her away with unconscious roughness. "'Go away,' he whispered. An angry pain at his grief, at Mrs. Cameron, who in some way had been the cause of it, surged through Deirdre. Pete McColl rode into the yard. He threw his bridle over the hitching post. "'Any news?' Deirdre asked. He shook his head and went into the kitchen. Later the schoolmaster called Steve in. She heard Steve's voice raised complainingly, her father's with settled determination against it. Her heart was sore. Why was he not telling her his plans as he was telling Steve? She heard him arranging to take Pete with him to Melbourne. "'I'm going too, father,' she cried, flashing into the kitchen. "'What have I done that you shouldn't tell me what you are going to do? "'You're talking to everyone else, and my heart's breaking.' The schoolmaster drew her into his arms. "'You're not coming, dear,' he said. "'You're best out of this. "'I want you to wait here with Steve till Davy comes back.' "'And you too, father.' He held her close in his arms. "'Yes, me too, of course, darling.' He crushed her face against his. "'It's great times we've had together, my darling, isn't it?' he asked. "'I don't like going without you, but it's better. It's great times we've had together, and now I'm an old blind devil that wouldn't be able to look after you properly in the town. It's not a nice place for a girl to be going about in, and I'd be no good to look after you, no more than a burden. Pete here'll be my guide and take me by the track round the swamp to Melbourne.' He says he couldn't do the shortcut across the swamp, but he knows the roundabout track all right. We'll have to be busy on Davy's account then. You'll be a good wife to Davy, won't you, darling? And happy as the day's long when he gets back. But you do love me too, don't you, darling blackhead? For God's sake, say you love me. His voice broke. Deirdre flung her arms around him, reckless of all but that some trouble within had forced that cry. There was a bitter undertone in his words that she did not understand, although she associated them in some way with Davy's mother and the disturbance and mental turmoil into which Davy's arrest had put him. "'I love you,' she cried, "'more than all the world, more than Davy, more than anyone or anything in it.' He stooped and kissed her. "'What a jealous brute I am,' he murmured, "'to have taken that from you.' "'There's nothing you haven't told me,' she asked, searching his face. "'No,' he replied, turning his face from her and burying it in her hair. "'You haven't told me anything at all of what you're going to do to get Davy off,' she said sharply. 
Oh, well, he parried. I don't know. I haven't decided. It will depend upon circumstances. He recognised the anxiety of her voice. You aren't going to try and get him off by putting yourself in his place, are you? she asked doubtfully. You've been really less in the thing than he has, and he's young and strong and— Oh, no, the schoolmaster laughed lightly. I wouldn't try to do that. He went out to the stable-yard. When the kangaroo was saddled, he took Deirdre in his arms again. She watched him cantering down the road on the great raking grey towards the inland plains, Pete McColl on one of Steve's horses a few yards behind him. The thought of that cry of his troubled her. Why had he said, For God's sake, say you love me? The flood of her love for him rose and filled her, the love of all those early years when he had been mother, brother, and playfellow. Little pictures of his tenderness, of his gay good fellowship, of his care flitted before her, because for years it had moved so tranquilly, she had scarcely realised the depth and power of that passionate affection, but now that he had called for it, showed his need of it, as he had never done even in the old days, it surged tempestuously. End of chapter 40